Yes, people, it's part three. That's right, part three of this week's Echo Chamber. And, uh, you know, we finish strong every goddamn time, baby. Every goddamn time. So, right now, we are bringing you all who loved her and three. Three, well, two interviews. One with the director, Christian Vinces, and the second one, we got the anger siblings, Nick and Rihanna. Yeah, we got the great Maitland Pezzo and Arthur Delaroche. So, hey, we are loaded with greatness. All right, people, so you're ready? Let's get it popping, all right? Okay, people, let's get things started with this new indie thriller, All Who Loved Her. Okay, people, so, man, I got, I got hit up the other day by one of my favorite PR people, you know, AJ Furman. And, um, yeah, she sent me this new uh, thriller, who done it? Drama, right? It's called All Who Loved Her, right? And um, it is by uh, Christian Vinces. He wrote, directed, and... Um, also produced the film along with uh, Jonathan Latt, Elmer Patastroni, uh, Fausto Vinces, um, Gia Carmo Vinces, Yuri Vinces, and um, our friend of the show. Arthur de, la, Arthur de la Roche. Right, remember him from Clairvoyant? That's right, Arthur's back. Uh, music is from Avery Kentis. Production design is Sirium A. Ramirez. Uh, sound department is Daniel Carley and Matthew Sullivan. Editorial department is Jack. Um, Tash Dijon. Additional production staff is Evan Hamilton and Elizabeth Miller. Our cast, well, we have got um, Rihanna Anger, who is played by um, Maitland Pezzo. Her brother, Nick Anger, is played by Arthur de la Roche. Um, who else should we do? Gwen Anderson is played by Lane Labour. Um, Mari Lee is played by Janice Blue. Um, that's, um, well, yes, Gwen is Nick's girlfriend. Uh, Mari is Rianne's girlfriend. We have Julian Hansen, Nick's best friend, played by Andre Bayer. We've got Professor Rossi, 
who's uh, Rianne's professor, played by Clint Carmichael. Um, there's Professor Banks, played by Hal Dion. we got Jen, played by Laura Helena, one of Gwen's friends. Katie Morrison, another of Gwen's friends, played by Christina Lucia. Um, have Erica, played by Haley Seat. Elsa, played by uh, Sharon Speeder. Uh, Samantha, played by Sharina Waller. Uh, yes, I think that's, uh, yeah, that, that's it, people. That's it. Uh, the gist of the story is uh, is this. Rihanna Angers has spent the last nine years obsessing over the vicious murder of Gwen Anderson. And it is understandable. Her brother Nick went to prison for the crime. Now that Nick is back, he needs her help to find who really killed the always smiling and happy Gwen. But Rianne is not thrilled with Nick's return. She has bloomed without her overbearing and charismatic brother. And she is not willing to give that up. About to... <coughs> oh, dear. About to finish school and take the next step in her relationship, Rianne realizes she has too much to lose with her older brother pulling her back into the past. Bum, bum, bum. Now, the interesting thing about this film, I kind of feel, is straight away, you kind of have a feeling of what happened, right? But you also are kind of like, wait, no, that could be too easy, right? And then all these things happen that do really make you think. Right, make you think and wonder, am I right? That could that have happened? I don't know, because there's all of these things, all of these things, right? We get stuff happen that you think, okay, well, that's clearly gonna lead to something later on, right? Hidden microphones, information leaking out, right? Just all of these things just go down. You're like, okay. Oh, that's going to, but yeah, it, it makes you wonder, right? Then you also, we've seen the actions of people and we're like, I know, man, that's, that's not something that uh, someone in the right mind would do. You know what I mean? And, and yeah, you do think. And out the gate, we are hit with something that's just like, Wait, hold on. Did they just say that? Did they just say that? Right, we get a voiceover from Rihanna going, um, something along the lines of Prof Professor Rossi says that if you walked home, um, and what is it? If you walked home in a rage, you're legally right to smash your girlfriend's face into the kitchen counter, right? 
if it's a crime of passion, something like that. <laughs> you just like, hold the fuck on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Is that how we're starting? Is that how this is getting going? Because goddamn, okay, I'm strapped in. I'm ready for this ride, baby. <laughs> You know what I mean? You are not eased in. It's like a, a fairground ride that starts off with the drop. You know what I mean? There, there's no easing it up. Slowly, slowly up a hill, right? Or little little, little bump, little bump, big bump. No, no, no. This is straight up. Boom. <laughs> You're in it now. <laughs> but that's cool. That's cool because, yeah, it, it really sets the tone of everything. And it's a weird one because, as I said, look, you have your assumptions of what went down. But even with those assumptions, you're with these characters. You know what I mean? You're a bit like, okay, yeah. No, no, no. I, I, I can kind of understand where she's coming from or... Yeah, I mean, it's a raw deal for Nick, right? But then, on a flip, then other people will do something and you'll be like, God damn it, I understand why Rihanna really is irritated with her brother. He's a whiny ass. <laughs> but, um, hey, we, 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 I mean, there's a lot of emotion, like, wrapped up in both anger siblings, right? And... I have to say, Arthur and Maitland do a exceptional job of bringing these people to life and just invoking so many different reactions within you. It's like, look, you're going between them all the way through. You know what I mean? Be like, oh man, I'm 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 with this one, I'm with that one, you know. Who did it? Who did it? What happened? You know, I mean? you get the mother. Right, you get what the mother's done and what is doing. I mean, it's technically not crazy, like you feel it, but also it's it's a bit of a dick move, you know. But yeah, you do kind of feel that Nick. I mean, right? I I, I think the kids these days would be calling old Nicky boy a cuck. You know what I mean? Like, homie just needs to get over shit quick. Like, it's just like, yo, you've been in jail nine years, son. And you knew a lot of shit going in. Right? You knew a lot of shit. And, and now even more shit's coming out. It's just like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, that wasn't the situation for you, man. It, it just wasn't. Chill, <laughs> chill, but so many strings, so many strings going off. Like Rossi's doing his thing, it is, it's all there, it's all there, and you just trying to decipher. You are trying to be a cuporo, or you might want to be Miss Marple. You choose, right. You choose, it's up to you people. But yeah, you're trying to work out what the fuck went down. What the fuck went down? And it is a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. All the way to the end. All the way to the end, right? 
And hey, I did enjoy the ending because you are left wondering. You're left wondering in a good way, people. Don't get me wrong. It's not one of those, you know, bullshit endings where you're like, what? That was a waste of time. Come on. No, it's not that. It's chill. It's not that. Okay. Okay. And gotta say, right? Gotta say, big up to Vince's because this is his first feature film. This is his first feature film, people. And it is extremely enjoyable. Extremely enjoyable. So it is currently out now on, uh, I think it's on Amazon, right? You find them on Amazon, your favorite VODs. So if you want a little whodunit, if you want a little cray cray, <laughs> if you just want to have fun, you know what I mean? If you want to have fun, people, then, uh, you know, it's just over 90 minutes. And yeah, I don't think you could go wrong with uh, a little bit of all who loved her, right? And it does seem like a lot of people did. Yeah, feel me? Yeah, feel me, people? All right, you get you some too. <laughs> right, 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 people. <laughs> the first of our two interviews. And first up, we speak to with the director himself, Christian Vinces. So um, sit back, because this is a great conversation. No audio problems. Oh, um, okay, people. So I'm here with Christian Vinces. Is that correct? Vinces? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, Chris Christian Vinces, who is the writer producer and director of all who loved her um yeah a new oh i say a thriller thriller did you call it a thriller yeah <laughs> a, a new indie thriller that is very intriguing christian very intriguing like i wasn't quite sure what to expect with you know, <laughs> because all of these things you're rolling the dice man you you're taking a look at something and you hope you're gonna like it you never know you never know um and straight i thought you came out the gate hard right you you've got the voice you've got um you know the, the brianna's voiceover and then <laughs> talking about you know a a, a a a murder of passion right she gives the quote about the head on the kitchen table and then you're just like okay right is that is that what we're doing here <laughs> so yeah so we open with that and then yeah the film kind of gets going and we're seeing you know her with her mum and then her with a girlfriend so there's these two different relationships. Oh, and then her with her lecturer. And you, you do get this weird sort of sense, this weird sort of vibe. And I was just like, oh, this is so intriguing. Because it's so hard. It is so hard to pinpoint out the gate, like where this was going to go and what was going to happen. 
So it's like, um, yeah, and, and I will say, I will say, Christian, um, I did enjoy the film. I very much enjoyed the film. Thank you. I At the end of the film, I was like, wait, so what? No, like, where? Huh? Fuck, you could just, what's happening here? <laughs> I'm happy you liked it. <laughs> now, um, all right, there's a lot I want to ask you, man. Um, so, all right, out the gate, right? Out the gate. Where did this story, like, where did it come from? You know, where, like, what was the impetus with this? There is, um, there is a story I've been trying to do for a while, uh, which is inspired on, um, a short story by Garcia Marquez, which is a chronicle of a death foretold. And it's basically about a crime that everybody knows is going to happen. But ironically, nobody does anything to stop it because everybody thinks somebody else will. <clears throat> and I was trying to do an urban take uh, on it. And then the story evolved into the thriller and, you know, with more of a surprise. In retrospective, you have already seen the film. If you watched it again, you may start seeing all the cues that are right there in front of you all alone. So that's where the idea came from, like trying to make a story that where the clues are there, we don't see them because we kind of choose not to. No, so, right, there was the first twist that you throw up. Right. I, I, I don't want to say too much, but the first one that you kind of introduce on who did it. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, I was thinking, hmm, this person seems very interested in these certain things. Right. So I thought, I think I think that person. But then straight out the gate, you give us that person. Right, you give us that person with yep. like not def a definite this person, but there are a lot. There's evidence, there's suspicions, and I was like, "Huh, that's interesting." Huh, mate, did I see something wrong? Like, am I thinking? Am I jumping to assumptions because it's so readily put out there? So that gave me a little bit of pause. But I was just then thinking, all right, how are we going to spin this? So there were certain assumptions I was making throughout the film, thinking, oh, did this or did this? But then you just think to yourself, no, but if that happened, then surely that would have, no, but then that would have. So you, you are guessing at every point of the film, even when there is this kind of, a lot of evidence pointing in a direction and then yep. even towards the end of the film you are still kind of thinking all right but there's definitely got to be more and where are they like where are they taking this how are they going to conclude this right because that's always the thing and i i i feel that you laid it out very nicely right because there's some things that you watch and like from the beginning, you guess, okay, I think it's this. And the film, and it turns out to be that, but there's no, 
there's no intrigue. It's too easy, you know. But I, mm-hmm. I think your story, you kept everyone guessing all the way through, and that's the real. Oh man, that was the real killer with this because you you just don't know where the hell it's going to go and what the conclusion's going to be. Yeah, like a, a lot of the intention was to make it a thriller, and men, having mentioned that uh, I wanted to be a story where it's obvious what happened and who did it, that changed when it became a thriller. And mm. one of the things is exactly that, you know, it's like how to keep people interested and kind of guessing uh, without at the same time compromising the actual meaning of the story. You know, because the thriller is just a vehicle for the main message about yeah. like passion crimes being like more universal than we think. And to just the fact that laws bend and work differently about passion crimes is mm. interesting in itself. It's like kind of you kill a man and you go to prison. But if you kill a man who was like uh, your wife's lover, then it's kind of justified. And when you think about it, it's really weird. Um, but yeah, so that's that's part of the of the message in the sense of like, yeah, there is a thriller. We're trying to keep you on your toes, but at the same time, the the relationships are developing in the background, and they're coming and going and showing you what's um, there is more to it than just the crime. Yeah. So when constructing this. Right, because now you are now you're thinking to yourself, okay, so um, it's going to be a thriller, and I want it to be obvious, but I don't want it to be too obvious, right? So, did you have to go and edit parts of the story or add parts of the story to ensure that the integrity of it stayed all the way through? Yeah, uh, the first intention was, like I was saying, before we settled in the thriller, let's focus on on the uh, on this character's journey and the emotions. It's kind of like, okay, if there is no surprise and you know what's going to happen or what happened, and we just go in this journey with this person, we should share the emotions of this character as they experience them. And thus, instead of judging them, will be able to just um, experience with them these circumstances, these situations. But then uh, it was very challenging to make it, um, to, to, to be fair and just to that approach. So mm-hmm. moving it into the thriller is, how can we still experience the journey without spending too much energy um, trying to understand what's going on or who did what? Right, and and that was the kind of like the, the the evolution of the story. That was the transition into once you make it a thriller, you do want to kind of like people get people keep people on the edge of the seat, but at the same time you don't want them to be confused or overwhelmed with like wait what's going on, and and like I mentioned, since the goal was to like um, have a story that is already evident, how do you do that right and. The main, the main thing was to keep the story and then remove two or three basic elements. So people, again, and like I was telling earlier, so when you rewatch the movie, then you realize, oh my God, all the clues were right in front of me all along. 
but it was because of the two, three uh, clues that were removed that you cannot put it together. And that's what makes it a thriller. Yeah. Okay. No, I mean, that makes, um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so how did you, because I, I think a lot of different people do it, you know, lay their films out, right, in different ways. So did you storyboard this? Like, how did you kind of keep abreast of everything and make sure all the elements lined up in the way that you wanted them to? Uh, that's a great question. Thank you for asking. There is a couple of uh, things to talk about there. The first one is uh, it was a very, very small uh, crew. So we involved the actors. And as we rehearsed, we all kind of like became very clear what the story was about and what what parts of the story needed to be uh, shown for it to work the way we intended it. So, and this is important because part to add to the um, to the style of the film was to keep it very simple, handheld, um, natural light or practicals, just so we don't get distracted too much with the cinematography and we focus on the story and the performance. So some of the locations we didn't know until we arrived to them. We, were, we didn't have a chance to scout the locations. So when we walked into the room, that was it. We had five minutes to set up and start rolling. Oh, so <laughs> without that approach, the idea of storyboarding or trying to make it more cinematic was too dangerous because then you know you would you may end up having getting nothing for being too ambitious in the, under the wrong circumstances so we will arrive to the location I, because we all knew the story and what we wanted to capture just adjust to the location and then go for it i have to say i mean that's that may be one of the first times I've heard, you know, I mean, that approach, right? Because, you know, because I think there is that level of control that I think a, a director wants. So to really put yourself in the hands of the environment, that's that's risky as hell, man. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Uh, and that's why I, I appreciate you as this, because for many years, I had a chance to um, try to be more cinematic and like really put all the resources in the cinematography and the looks, the mise-en-scene, making sure all the details in the background are there, that the light falls correctly and emphasizes. So a lot of the narrative will be within the cinematography. Mm. And... But that's also very uh, resource and time intensive. It's basically put, it's, it's very expensive. Yes. And for this project that is very personal to me, it, the idea was, what is the process? What does the process mean to me? Am I happy while I'm making this project? Am I gonna enjoy the process? And. That's why we, I, it was very small. Like I said, it was like, yes, three of us plus the actors. And we moved together. So it's like a, a collaboration. We all are helping. Each, each of us is doing something. Nothing really unheard for independent films. 
but the main idea was sharing the responsibility. And like you said, it's like, I don't feel we put ourselves um, on the hands of the environment as much as I put myself on the hand of the crew and the talent. And just like each of you have a talent and you have been like um, improving it over time. And we're gonna rehearse. We all are gonna like be clear in what the final goal is. And each of us is gonna try to use our talents to get us all there. And um, so, and that was a little bit approach. And the interesting thing is, and I hope this, I, I think this is gonna come up when you talk to Arthur. It was incredibly refreshing for everybody to feel that you do choose your level of responsibility. And at the same time, that responsibility is matched to your skills. So basically you get a feeling that you are in the right place, doing the right thing at the exact right moment. And that is very fulfilling. And then when you're not doing your part, it's being enjoyable because you're sharing this with the crew and the rest of the talent. So you can just be cracking jokes or whatever. So it's a, it's a very, it takes off a lot of the pressure because you focus on what you can control and, and try to work around what you cannot control. So at the same time, it uh, offers creative challenges. But um, like you said, it's very different from the regular approach that from many directors, um, including myself sometimes, have of trying to control all the details of the narrative. Uh, it's a very different approach. Yeah, yeah. And is, is this your second feature film? It is my second feature film, yes. So that in itself, right, because you've made, you made your first in what, 2008, I believe? Yeah. Mark of Cain? Yep. Um, and so... Yeah, this being your second one, to take such a risk, was it like, was that, you know, a, a level of stress and concern that you, you know what I mean? Like, you, you, you hit the ground with your first feature, right? You, so you're building that foundation, you're getting people to pay attention to you. And then you kind of toss the rule book out and you do something completely different, right? Which, in a way, right, doing it like this, it does set you, you know, it, it, it sets you apart from a lot of people and it shows your ability, right? And it worked, right? But if it didn't, you, you're kind of undoing all the work you did with the first film. So when doing this, when coming up with this idea, was there the concern that ah, this is a bit risky? Yes. Uh, again, that's a great question. There is so much to unpack. I'm going to try to keep it brief. The no, first... you, no, you, you talk it. Hey, there's no schedule, man. You could talk and say whatever the hell you want. Okay, so basically the first thing that comes to mind is a saying that I'm sure you know, you're only as good as your last movie. Mm. So basically you can have 10 awful films and you make an amazing film and people will just pay attention to that amazing film because it was the last one and vice versa. You can make 10 amazing films, you make a bad one and that's the only one people will remember. 
So oh yeah, we've we've seen it countless times. Yeah. So it's and once you commit to doing film uh, as a as a lifestyle to embrace it, you have to detach yourself from the outcome because it can be very devastating to put all your resources and all your time and all your emotions on one project and like you said be terrified and then something goes wrong and then you're devastated and and, and i've been there it can knock you down for like a couple of years like while you try to recover in from everything and that's the interesting thing you know like um if you understand that you're gonna keep on doing this, that you need to keep on doing this, then you start like trying to figure it out <clears throat> how to make it more sustainable for you. And it eventually takes you to, why am I really doing this? Like, because, and, and a quick parenthesis there, there are a million factors <clears throat> that can affect the success of a film that have nothing to do with the film. Itself. Yes. I always remember this very simple uh, story of um, John, Carper, Camper, uh, John Carpenter's, Carpenter's The Thing, which is a, a film I saw since when I was very little and I loved it. It was really good. I don't know if you know the film, which is oh, about uh, in, in Antarctica. I always wonder how that film was not so much more famous or, or respected. And when I was in class years later, my professor told me, well, like it happens in filmmaking, a lot of successes have nothing to do, or failures have nothing to do with you. That film didn't do so well because the very same week it, it came out, no, one week before it came out, E.T. came out. Mm. And E.T. just took all the box office. No film that came around E.T. got any attention. And that's something that can happen to anybody. You can make the most amazing film. And for some reason, you don't know what's coming out that same week or the previous week. And all of a sudden, nobody even gives you a chance. And that has nothing to do with you. And that's one of the risks of doing this. So having that in mind, and, and, and then the parenthesis there, going back to the answer, having that, that in mind, for me, with my experience, it has become important to detach myself of different outcomes through the process. And always remind myself, why am I doing this? Like if there is a, a storm or a landslide while we're shooting the last day and everything gets taken away and I cannot come back and try to reshoot or finish this film. If that happens, what did I get from this experience? So, and, and that's when doing this film, it was about of community, about us just having the raw talent, right? Like the actors, just go and do your thing as if you were in a stage or just a location, just do your own thing, right? And then from there, for me, just trying to capture it. Just try to capture it. And, mm. and like you said, it's like, it's risky, yes, very risky. It's a little scary and intimidating, yeah. But like, um, like many times when you understand why you do something, that is what you're chasing. That high is what you're chasing. So that's kind of like for me, um, is it risky? Yes, but 
if you are clear why you're doing it and that no matter what happens, you're getting what you want, then it's worth it. Mm, yes. No, I, yeah, I hear you on that. Now, the other thing I'm curious about as well, right, um, before we get into the nitty gritty of things, right, because I feel a lot of times with the things we do, the more we do them, the more comfortable we are doing them, right? And there was, you know, gosh, what would it have been? Uh, uh, let's say a 12-year gap between your first feature and then this one. So did that kind of, as you know, you've made, you've made some short films in that time, but did that kind of affect you in any way, right? Did that make you think, wait, can I still do this? Like, you know what I mean? Like the familiarity of telling a story, right? So the, you get into the rhythm of doing something, but then doing it completely different to how you did it the last time. So did that as well play on you in any way? To answer your question, I always ask myself that. Can I still do this <laughs> every day? Uh, it's interesting. Yes, it is. It, the, the thing that comes to mind first is I'm such a different person from who I was 12 years ago. Yeah. I have different fears and sometimes I'm facing different challenges. And going back to the, to, like, going back to the whole, sometimes you have to embrace it like a lifestyle. And it's interesting because this is not like making, no, maybe it is like making music or like any other art. People only see the painting. Or, or, or if you want, if you go one step back, people see you painting. But there is a, such a much bigger process going on way before you, to, you start like the, the physical process, before you start like actually uh, acting on the inspiration, you know? And within that logic, you can be, if you were a, an artist, you can be making a painting once every 10 years, but you may be, you may spend those 10 years in between developing the next painting that you're going to do, right? So it's like in your mind, you're still working. In your mind, you're still in the process, right? Like, for example, I may not be able to shoot the next project until later next year, but during all this time, I've already been developing many other stories. So... Since I made the first film uh, until, um, since I made uh, Ken's Mark to All Who Loved It and this, beside the shorts, I've been developing a lot of stories that I'm planning to shoot in the years to come. And part of taking the time is allowing them to evolve with me. So I can go back to them and make sure that the message they're supposed to deliver is still relevant to me and resonates. And if it's being uh, told, uh, in a way that is like um again powerful enough to me so but then but you were asking about like was it intimidating to come back to make another film yes because um having said all that i said about the mental process happening in between 
there is a moment where you pick up the camera and you are like, wow, it's been a couple of years or it's been like four years or something. And then it hits you, it's like, this is happening. We're back on set. Mm. And interestingly, it is like riding a bicycle. It arriving set, you like you mentioned, there is one second, there is one moment where you feel overwhelmed and afraid. But then everything else comes back. Yes. And you just feel like you're back home. You're like, no, we're back at home and everything is exactly what we wanted it to be. And then again, it's important to try to enjoy it because the ride doesn't last more than two, three weeks. Oh man, I know, I kind of know what you talk about, right? So I've dabbled with stand up, but it's hard to get staged, you know, that stage time. Yeah. So where normally you, you want to get up as many times you can in a week, you know, there's been times when there's been a, a large gap in between the last time and you step up on stage and you, you grab that microphone and you're just like, oh, fuck, man, it's been a while. But then the moment you start to tell that first joke, it suddenly, I don't know, man, it just floods you. It floods you with that. Be like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. I can, yeah, I know this joke. Boom. And you tell it. And that adrenaline rush that you get, that exhilaration. And as you said, like, it lasts for two or three weeks. Like, you know, doing a, a five-minute spot, right? You, you, you're just invigorated. And the time it's finished, you're like, all right. I want to do it again. Where's the next yeah. one? Where's the next yep. one? And you're just ready. You're pumped. You just yep. want to capture, you want to, you know, keep hold of that feeling that you get. So I, I kind of understand, but obviously this, this is a, a bigger, a bigger stage than doing a five minute open mic spot. <laughs> yeah. No, no, but this, but this exactly, but that's exactly the same process. You know, there is like that. I'm sure it happens to you. Like, Walking to the stage is the moment where the, the five seconds where you're like, oh my God, am I going to be able to deliver? And as soon as you start telling the joke, you're like, this is why I do it. Yes. This is why I do it. I did. Of course, I'm going to be able to deliver because I love it. And mm. I, I enjoy being here. And then when it's over, you feel it was too soon. Yeah. It oh, was too quick. Definitely. Definitely, right. And then you think of ways in which you could have improved it and be like, oh, I should have done it in this way and I could have done that. And ah, yeah, boom, boom. but then you're like, oh, next time, right? These are notes. These are notes for the next one. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and that's exactly what happens. You know, you just take the notes and next time is better and better and better. And that's why, like, again, maybe you may be six months before you are, you have a chance to be on the stage again. But when it, the, the time comes, all the experience from before is going to be fresh and ready to use. Mm. And it's going to hit you once you pick up the microphone. You are yeah. walking to the stage again six months later, and it's like, am I going to be able to do this? But then once you pick up the microphone, all the experience from every single previous performance comes back to you. And you just like roll with it. <laughs> Indeed, man. Indeed. Okay, so let's get into the, the, the nitty-gritty of it. Now, actually, there's there's one thing I was wondering, right? Because I'm watching it, and I, 
I got the kind of feel of a oh man, what do they call them? Uh like a, a, a Spanish um is it Fuella? The 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 cereals, the um like the, the TV productions, the, the 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 stories, the 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 you mean like a novella? Novella, that's it, novella. Yes, I, I kind of got this that kind of feel from it with the, the music and then you know like the, the notepad being a, a a kind of a telling moment all the way through the film, like her going to the note, Brianna going to the notepad and writing down, and then we focus on the notepad and then we move on. And, and then the music playing and amping up in certain sections and a lot of the close, tight camera work. Yeah, I just got this kind of, I don't know why, but yeah, I got the novella kind of feel. Um, was that something maybe you were thinking? No, the, the thing is, I think it's unavoidable once you do uh, a low-budget project that is very dialogue-driven. Because that's almost the definition of a novella. <laughs> you know, it's like a, a low-budget production, very uh, dialogue-heavy, you know. And so once you have those things, it's so blatant that it's hard to um, not see the parallels. And that's what I think you are seeing. You know, like all those things is is just part of the of the style, if you want to say it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I I did think you know the 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 close camera work, like the, you know using the the handheld and all of that. It it did help bring you into the story, and. I think it kept you focused on certain things, right? So I think where, if we're fully pulled back, right, you're probably going to look at the film in a slightly different way and make other assessments and jumps in where I think this happened and this and then this. But because we're in so tight on people sometimes, you are just keyed into them, right? And and this story in that moment, and, and I think that is that really helps with the storytelling with this. You know, absolutely. Like I was telling you, for many of the locations, we had the basic idea of what we were going to cover, and then we have to adapt to the location once we arrived. Uh, but once we had that we were very clear of the things we needed to focus on uh, that we couldn't let, uh, we couldn't miss. And like, yeah, like having the handheld camera helps with that because you can just pick up the stuff as you go or as you are recording, you know? Like as you're recording an interaction between the characters, as soon as you finish, you just turn around and get the pickup you need from the object or from the close-up or whatever. And you kind of like, it's easy to match because you were right there, you know. You know how it's gonna like fit in. So that in that way, yeah, like the handheld camera helped a lot, and that was the intention again. You know, we needed that freedom. We needed the freedom to just be able to get what we needed as soon as possible. Yeah, and um, how did the casting go? Was it a, a simple process, 
or did you know when you were writing the characters did you have in mind the the person you wanted to play these roles like how did all of that come together you know it's it's interesting uh, that's a great question too because for me it's a it's a personal process uh coming from uh, a smaller productions i don't have the luxury to think oh this character will be perfect with like Samuel J. Jackson or, or some, or, you know, or this person. And let me see mm. if I can get them attached to the project. So it's more about <clears throat> we create the character with a, an idea in mind. But then in the casting process, you just have to open your mind, open your mind and look for an incredibly talented person. And then once you find that person, and this is interesting because it goes back to what we were talking about, uh, uh, trusting the environment and trusting your, your talent and crew. Once you find a talented person, you have to give them the character and mm. let them develop the character on their own. Because again, it's, it's, it's the, it might be the first time you're working with this person and you need to, like again, they may create a better character than you imagined. You have to be open to that. And so I personally, I personally like doing the casting myself exactly because of that, because I'm looking for somebody I can communicate with and I'm looking for people who can like, uh, who are talented enough to, um, to think beyond the lines, people who yeah. are willing to add. And that's something you can tell. Sometimes people are really good at reading and they can read you the, the script. But there are some of them who go beyond and they actually add, they take a risk and they say, I think the character is more like blah, blah, blah. And they do it. And you're like, wow, I didn't think of that. But mm. seeing you do it, that's so much better than what we imagined. And, and I'm thankful that I've arrived to that process because yes, sometimes you do want to chase your vision and hone your skills to materialize that precise vision onto the screen for other people to get a peek into your brain as, as you had the vision, right? And this reminds me a little bit of uh, dreams of Kurosawa, right? Dream one, exactly as I dreamt it. Uh, but then once you start bringing the talent of other people, I find it like irresponsible and silly not to use it. Mm. If these people can add so much more, if these people can like take things to two, three, four levels higher than I can, why wouldn't I take advantage of that? So, and then in the rehearsing uh, process, then we get synchronized. You know, I try to share my vision the most and see if like, for example, they can add or if I can add to what they're doing, because there might be things that they didn't think about. This collaboration. Yeah. But that's and, and but then when the time comes to work, then you just have to trust the talent. You have to trust the actors. You have to trust the relationship has, uh, and the development process has been uh, on point, and let them do their thing. So uh, so yeah, it goes back to what I said. It's like even though I have my own vision. I can be very detached in order to get something better. 
okay. Okay. That I mean that makes sense. And um did like were um Arthur and Matlin were they you know the first people or were they later in the process? I um I don't remember exactly um because now it's different like you get all the uh self tapes first and from the self tapes you do the actual callbacks i mean at least that's how we did it and um and you get so many self tapes in the first round it's it's hard to remember who was who right right, right. you know so but like i can tell you um I know all of them stood up immediately because they had they were bold and they were adding something to the character that was like beyond what was asked. Uh, oh man, that's cool. Now, you know, you you said about this production that you know you did put yourself in the hands of your crew, right? So you know, with the rehearsals, but how much time did you spend together to kind of feel comfortable before you started the shoot? I, this is interesting. And I, I know everybody that I I usually try to rehearse almost a month before going to shoot. And there is a, a process which is first again going over, going over the story and uh, going over the basics and then going repeating rehearsing over and over trying to find new layers new nuances and, and things to that we may not have thought of and mm. um, after two three weeks you get burnt out it gets a point where you're just kind of like their performances are just like mechanical it's kind of like there is nothing there do I personally leave, give it two weeks or so, and then we go to shoot. And because of those two weeks, it I think like the talent had time to process everything, and they are over the whole, uh, over the burnout, over the mechanical part. So when they come, they come fresh, but with all the understanding of the depth of the month that we were rehearsing before. Yeah. And for me, that works really well. I, I, I like the outcome. I, I see the growth with the, with the talent. Okay. No, that all makes sense, man. That all makes sense. Um, listen, Christian, I realize you're on holiday. And, you know, you, you've given me this time. So I don't want to keep you too okay. much longer. Um, is there, you know, anything like that we haven't spoken about that you, you know what I mean? Like you want to <laughs> go over? Um, from the top of my head, just basically the film itself is, and again, many people may not see it, but there is a lot of processes that go um, behind the scenes in order to get a meal, uh, make, get a, a film done. The one important thing, and that came out very early in our conversations, is there is a lot of personal processes. And um, for me, it is very important to be aware of that. And like I mentioned, I, I want to emphasize how important it is 
to remember why you do it. If you want a red carpet, that's fine. But be clear to yourself why you do it. Because that way, when you're in set, or when you're on set, or when you're writing, or when you're preparing, you will always be clear what you're trying to get, and it's going to keep you going. And and the reason why I want to like uh, say this is because I know it can be very discouraging for people to spend all the work and all the resources into making a project, and they don't get it to um, go beyond a certain threshold money-wise, and they think it's a failure. And it's, no, dude, you may be sabotaging yourself. You have to keep on going. Like you mentioned, roll the experience into the next project and do not deprive us of your talent. Don't let that knock you down. You always keep on going, always keep on trying because everybody else has the right to see what you have to offer, what you have to say. So I just wanted to, I would like to just say that, throw it out there for whoever thinks, um, for whoever may need to hear that. No, I, I think that's very useful because, uh, you know, I, I, I speak to a lot of first time directors or people that have been making a lot of shorts, but, you know, w worried about making that transition to their first feature. Um, I was at a, a, a sci-fi festival the last few days and, you know, you meet a lot of people there with that these sort of aspirations and there is a lot of doubt. Right. People worry about, oh, you know, but can I sustain this? Right. How long before I make money? You know, and, and it's just I think those words you just said, right, that message, I think that that's what a lot of first time new actors, directors, producers, writers, they, you know, it's valuable to hear that. It's definitely valuable because all, all people often see is people on the red carpet, right? The award shows and, and hearing this film made a billion and this film made 20 million and blah, blah, blah. And they hear all of that, but we don't always hear about those first steps, those first few films, what it took to get to that point. So exactly. no, that that's, that's great, Christian. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of people are definitely, yeah, like, You've, you've helped invigorate them with that. But um, how can people stay, you know, abreast of what you're doing? Eh? Uh, we do have a um, Facebook um, page for Amaru Films. Um, our website is usually the best way, which is amarufilms.com, A-M-A-R-U-F-I-L-M-S.com, Amaru Films. And, um, just, just basically, you can just like go there and see what we're up to, what we've done, and some of the things we're planning to do soon. Awesome. And um, yeah, you know, they, they, they could also watch this film on Prime and Apple TV, right? Yes. And 2B TV, I think, too. Splendid. And people... Yeah, so like if, if people can go, check it out, rate it, that would be awesome. Yeah, I, and you know what? You you will not be disappointed. This is ah man, this is very enjoyable. Very enjoyable. Especially if you you like your thrillers, you like your 
whodunits, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think this this will sit well with you. Well, I'm really happy you liked it. Thank you. Uh, no worries. And are you, is there a, a thought of what you'll be doing next? The, um, I'm developing a bunch of projects. Um, the next two are um, thrillers, too. Um, one is about a mass shooter. And the other one is about an influencer um, who is basically dealing with a troll that becomes a stalker. I don't, it doesn't sound so interesting because I don't want to give away the actual, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. the actual story. But believe me, they are really, really good, uh, very, very tight. Like, um, and each of them has a very uh, topical message, very relevant message to our days. So I, I can re I can wait to to share it with you guys. Okay, well, splendid, man. I I mean, uh, after this one, everyone is definitely going to be you know just waiting with anticipation to what you do next. And hopefully, Christian, once you know, what I mean, everything's in place, you come back and we can uh, have a talk about it. Yeah, thank you, thank you so much. I appreciate that, and I appreciate the time. Hey, no worries, man. You enjoy um, the rest of your holiday. I feel it's probably well-deserved. And, um, hey, all success with the film, man. Thank you so much. Okay, people. That is Christian Vinces. Go watch his Okay. And now, people, ho -ho, we've got the anger siblings. That's right. we got the great Maitland Ezo and returning Arthur Della Roche. This is so much fun, people. Hope you enjoy it. Okay, people. So we're doing something a little bit different today on Echo Chamber because I've decided to put on my Maury hat. I have brought in siblings, Rihanna and Nick Anger to try and clear some shit up, right? Because yeah, they these these two kids don't get on. Like, Rihanna, what wh what's the beef you have with your brother? Well, you know, my mom babies him and uh, thinks that he's perfect, even though he went to jail and obviously is not perfect. So, you know, he gets everything easy. I was framed, first of all. So. Right. That's what he says. That's what he claims. That's what every guilty man says. <laughs> I didn't but, do it. Okay. Rihanna, you're like, you have been studying law and you've kind of looked into the case. So do you not believe your brother, really? I mean, my answer would be different if he was listening versus if he was not. Oh, I see. I see. And how's this make you feel, Nick? um par for the course she's always been like this i'm not surprised at all it's because he's an asshole that's why <laughs> but your mother seems to believe him yeah because she believes everything he does and he knows it too like he can't even deny it she'll give him everything he wants she depleted my savings fund to help him out maybe she just has better instincts and better you know ability to trust than you do you know, maybe you're, you're, or maybe you're just incapable of doing anything by yourself. So she has to help you. Having taken away. I mean, 
it's, it's getting heated, people, and you will get to the answers of this after the break. <laughs> no, people, I'm joined by the extremely talented Maitland Pezzo. Yes. Hi. <laughs> Very good. And you might recognize him. It's Arthur Delaroche. Arthur. Thank you very That's much great. for stopping by, Maitland. Thank you for the first appearance on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. And they have both stopped by to talk about their new film, All Who Loved Her. Um, yo, I, I spoke to Christian um, the other week about the film. And um, yeah, it was a really good conversation. It was interesting. He said, you know, he talked about the um, casting process and he was in a pinch, so he had to sit on YouTube, but uh, it managed to work sounds out. Right. So, yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, sounds right. Sounds sounds correct. <laughs> like, how did you? Um, yeah, how did you find? Like, um, because it sounds like it was a different sort of film, you know, very in the moment and all of that. How did you? Because you both you know, worked on TV, both done film, you know, so you've been in the industry, you've done numerous projects. So how was this project? And was it that much different from stuff you've done in the past? Arthur, you want to go? You want me to go? I mean, I think your answer is going to be more interesting than mine. So you go for it. Okay. Well, I, I found it just on a, on a casting website, like, uh, a lot of the other ones that I've submitted myself for, but I would say the the main difference is that because the crew was so small, it created like such an intimate set, and we were able to really work with each other and bounce ideas off of each other. And Christine was really open to all of our ideas, and he really wanted us to make the characters our own. And he was open to any line changes or like ways that we thought we would say it. Um, and he really just worked with us to get in depth with the character. So we had so much more time because it was a smaller crew and we weren't on like the hustle and bustle of a regular huge million dollar movie set. So that's nice. Cool. Yeah, no, that's pretty much, uh, I mean, uh, movies like what Christian was, I'm more comfortable with those just because, you know, I've, I was in the DIY sector for a really long time. So, you know, um, I felt really comfortable doing that kind of thing. Uh, the thing that surprised me about Christian was just how much practice we did. Because normally I'm just going in, yeah, dude, like normally, you know, uh, a lot of the projects, because they might be of a smaller nature, but they're also a little bit more, um, we don't have a permit for this, we can't do this, we can't do that. So, you know, there's, mm. I'm not used to, to being able to go that deep with a character or to, you know, normally you just show up and you got to say those lines before the cops show up, you know? Yeah. And, uh, that's, that's what I was kind of used to for the most part for a lot of things. Um, that, and that's what, what I thought we were going to do with this, but no, man, Christian really went above and beyond. We did weeks of yeah. practice, training, you know, like it was rehearsals. It, it was awesome. It was really cool. Yeah. No, we spent a lot of time in like his apartment or like going to get food but like just practicing on this black leather couch that he had just over and over and over again. It was great. It was actually really nice. So that when we did film, it was like, oh yeah, we got this. It, it was very easy, very natural. And the cool thing about Christian too, is that like, if I had a question about the character or if I had a, a, a protestation about the character, if I could 
you know, you can kind of like offensively ask Christian just about anything and he'll just let that roll off his back. You know, like I used to be like, why the fuck would I ever do this, dude? And he was just like, he, I mean, he would convince me and I can't believe it. You know, like I would be so opposed to something. And then, you know, it was great working with the guy. Nice. And I guess for you coming off like clairvoyant and, um, Oh, Remy in Arletta, but you don't know about that one yet. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah like I, I knew it's double R and I was like, it's Rosie and Sutton, right? But yeah, coming off those, like coming into something like this, do you think it was easier than coming off like one of the bigger productions? I have a bunch of stuff to say. First of all, I haven't given Christian the proper credit. He's the one that inspired me to do Clairvoyant in the beginning at all. Oh, you know, that. seeing Christian go out and shoot his shot like this and do things like this was the thing that made me go, God damn it. I mean, this, like, he was inspiring. It was actually, everybody always talks about making a movie, and then Christian just went and had the balls to do it. So, you know, that was really nice. Um, first of all, I was putting that out there. Uh, and we did this before Clairvoyant. We did this before Remy Arletta. Like, truly, Christian was the progenitor of those things, in a way, by inspiring me. Um, you know, and then also, like, dude, when you're acting, just acting, like, come on, it's awesome, you know, I was just acting, it's so easy compared to what I got myself into afterwards, so, you know, like, being an actor is awesome at any level, um, it's also, like, hard and shit, but, like, it's hard in an expected way, uh, mm. you know, you're doing your actual job description when it's hard being an actor in those ways, you're not also dealing with the fact that, like, I don't know, somebody staying at the motel next door who's like an abusive alcoholic is like bothered by the noise that you're making at noon because he's asleep you know like, like it's a totally different fucking vibe um you know and that's the thing like christian man yeah i'm i'm, I'm monopolizing this a little bit so i'm gonna stop in a second but it was just really friggin nice to just be able to act and just act and just worry about acting and then when i wasn't acting i napped i napped on set I went to sleep, and so did Malin, I and it was too. awesome. I would fall asleep between takes. <laughs> like, I mean, how, how the hell you do that? Like, I can't, I don't day nap. I do four hours at night, and I'm, that's it. There's no napping. There's none of that crazy. No, that's, that's it. I do about 12 hours a night, and then approximately three hours in the day as well. I'm just always asleep. No, well, not really. I, did, I, I probably sleep like six hours a night, but I will take a nap. I love a good nap. See, dude, I hate a good nap. And I'm, I'm the kind of person that naps for 30 minutes, and then my heart starts beating really fast because my body doesn't know why I'm asleep right now. Maybe you should get that checked out then, <laughs> Like, Maybe there's something wrong with you. But you yeah, that's taught me to nap as well. Like, you taught me to relax a little bit on set, which was nice because I was just running around. It's true. He was like, always trying sleep. to get me to, like, like, run our lines. And I was like, no, go away. <laughs> No, straight up. I'd be like, shouldn't we go over this? And you and you were like, like we had no, four we weeks, it. dude. <laughs> we're fine. <laughs> so you might have had it, but he might not have had it. He's panicking. He had it, though. Like... But that's the thing. He would panic, and he had it. He always produced a good scene. He always was great. Arthur, cover your ears, because I don't usually praise him. But he was always doing really good. He always, like, he always brought it. Like, this guy's, like, freaking crying in all the scenes. And I'm like, oh, man, now I got to step up to Arthur's level. But then still, he was like, we got to do it again. I was like, why? <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> that is true. Christian, every now and then, he, he would just, like, try to get some safeties. 
And after like just cutting our wrists in the first fucking take when he, when Christian was almost not ready, then he'd like try to get a safety for camera or something. And we would I would phone it in. I would just be like, nah, man, I just used it all up. I don't know. <laughs> I feel bad. I really should have been more professional. Like I feel bad for Christian there because he would really, you know, like he would he'd be like just like okay we're going in under practice and then like i would ball and he'd be like okay can you do that again and i'd be like uh, no 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 i can't so no man no dude malin i mean it was really fucking awesome working with you and i really was lucky because i was super nervous you're right like i've you know i've always uh, been behind the camera so when christian made the mistake of casting me i was really excited um, and, and I, it was really, I was lucky to have you cause you know, you're you, yep. if I had anybody I else, I don't best. know if it would have been any good for me. Like I wouldn't have been comfortable <laughs> to cry. There were some actors where, you know, like it depends on who you get stuck with, you know, a lot of the time and you have to bring it anyway. And I think I was so green, so amateurish at the time, but like, if it wasn't Malin, I would have sucked. Mm. Well, first of all, don't give me that much credit. You did it all by yourself, but it was funny. Like you could tell once Arthur and I got closer that he had a harder time being mean to Rianne because he liked me and liked her at certain times that there were times that there were like scenes in the movie where like the mom would like kind of steal from Rianne to help uh, Nick and Arthur didn't like doing the scene because he was like, well, that's wrong. Rian shouldn't get her money stolen. And so you could tell that he was just like he was getting all defensive and like big brothering. And I was like, no, you don't like me in the scene. You have to be meaner. And he was like, but no. No, it was it was really weird because like I did have to some of these lines are vitriolic, like they're venomous. And like, I don't know, bro, like Nick's cool, but you know, he took Rianne for granted a little bit in there somewhere. Yeah, I can't believe uh, a lot. It was tough. It was was tough, dude. It was, you know, I I was asking for like rewrites in the middle of of shooting and stuff. (laughs) This is why I'm never going to get cast again. (laughs) I'm not easy to work with. But yeah, dude, like it was, it was, it was harder the the better I knew you. And the more you taught me to nap. You know, you gave me a, a very valuable thing there. Okay, and also, wait, just to, like, I'm not, I didn't just, like, nap in the middle of all sets. Like, I don't just go to sleep. I was also uh, filming another movie at the time that took place on night shoots. So I would be up all night, and then I would come to set, and then I would go back and do the other night shoot things. So I had approximately two hours asleep, like, a day. So my naps were crucial during the <laughs> filming. Two films at the same time. It was, yeah. But I was I was doing um, behind the scenes on the other one. It's a like a big movie camp that I always helped out with. So I was the AD on that. So we were up all night and then we would film it and then edit it because it's this camp and you have to film the movie and then have the final product done in a week. So it was right, film, right. edit, film, edit, film, edit. Well, that was the amazing thing about you because like you would come in and before the camera started rolling, you would look like a Vietnam veteran. Like, you, like, <laughs> Thank you. like you would be able to like, you'd have, you just see right through people. Like you were barely looking at anything, you know, like I saw this one time where like you got your morning, I don't think you, were you drinking coffee on set? You weren't no, drinking I don't, coffee. I don't like coffee. You don't no. like coffee. That's right. No. So like, she would just like get her water and just like act like I, I, there was a lot 
it was just a thousand yard fucking stare, man. It was crazy. And then I was so tired. <laughs> then the cameras would come on, you'd be a completely different person, you know? <laughs> so yeah, the naps were very useful. Uh, yeah. I like how we've spent this entire time just talking about napping, like not even talking about it. like, hey, everybody, you should nap. It's really good for you. It's, really it's, nice. it's the secret to become a great actor. That's it. it. Seem. Yep. That is that is that is the secret. So I mean, we're joking, but I agree with that a little bit. You know, somewhere in there, because like you were able to bring a comfort to set too. That um, you know, by doing the napping, you change the vibe of the set where everybody got more relaxed and more you know like people were allowed to be human they weren't putting up a front anymore the napping was a very very smart strategic you know you're welcome i planned that whole thing <laughs> i mean in all seriousness in all serious in all <laughs> seriousness right you you often do hear a lot of um actors talk about the set and it's being stressful and you know trying to get in roles and all of this so you know, being able to get those naps and to have that level of relaxation, do you think that's something that you would want to take forward? Like, was it that beneficial to you, do you think? I mean, I think being relaxed on a set is always beneficial, whether it be by napping or hanging out at Crafty or whatever it is, um, because, you know, then you're, you're not going to be as nervous. It, it's like any job. If you're really nervous, you're probably not going to perform as well, especially with acting because it's all about your emotions and nerves, you know, will mess up your emotions. So, yeah, I, I think it's important to get comfortable no matter what set you're on and whatever tools you use to do that, I think you should use them. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, you've got you've to pretend that you're in your living room even when there's a bunch of people around. So you might as well just act like you're already in, in your living room. You know, like it's no big deal, you know. <laughs> and do you think that's gonna that would work with all roles? Like, you know what I mean? Like if you're playing a, a crazy character, I mean you kind of were, but do you think it like being relaxed is is good for every type of role? I do. I do because then I think you're starting off at a neutral base and then you can pull whatever emotions you need. I feel like it would be really hard to play the Joker if you were having the best time of your life or a really crappy day. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like it's really hard to be this exuberant character and also have crap going on in your own life. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm learning that being an actor is really weird because you are working super duper hard to essentially have the same, like to make, to have a regular job and treat it like a regular job, you know? So like you're, you're killing yourself and begging people for the opportunity to essentially just go into the office, you know? And <laughs> yeah, man, it's fucking, it's, 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 uh, it's important to be comfortable with that. You know, uh, you're not going to do a good performance. Nerves don't get you anywhere. I don't, I've never even seen somebody who is nervous act nervous well. Because also, like, the audience needs to like watching us. If we're, like, really weirdly nervous, that's super uncomfortable for the audience. Like, they're not going to like you. Yeah, you know? they're going to notice. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think they're very good points. Like, was it the practice or did you guys do anything else to kind of 
bond and create that chemistry between you? Well, I feel like we kind of got along pretty quickly right away. Like from the first table read, we were already kind of shooting the shit with each other, just like Ryan and Nick do. So I think we were lucky in that we were cast very well. And so we bonded really quickly. And then, like like he said, you know, we were practicing so much that even when we weren't practicing, like we went out for food a lot. We would just be hanging out. So we had plenty of time to like talk and get to know each other and bond. And so, you know, I think that was helpful. Yeah, it was it was it was really helpful. You know, um, there was a familiarity. I mean, it was a little bit whiplashy for me just because like I had to for, you know, I like Maitland a lot. Maitland's super duper cool. And then I have to be like, listen here, you dumb bitch. You know, like, just like flip around on her, you know, and act like I haven't seen her in seven years. And, like take her completely for granted. So, you know, uh, that was a little tough. But I think that also I wouldn't have been comfortable being as cruel or rude or, uh, you know, whatever. He's acting out. So uh, I wouldn't have been able to act out comfortably if uh, we hadn't done all that stuff. Mm. Uh. And like when you read the when you read the script and these characters, like what was your kind of first impression? Because you know, I, it, it's a weird one. Because Rihanna, she she really does like. There's a that twisted side, but then you can see that it seems that she she's looking for that love, that acceptance, and so. As you're watching it, you see her do something a bit fucked up, but then you see her do nice shit and you'll be like, uh, you know what? Uh, yeah, she's kind of, you know, so there was that. And with Nick, it's just like you feel bad for him a bit. But then when he's acting a bit bratty, it's just a bit like, geez, dude, come on, man. Like, you're not going to get anything like that. And then you've just got, as the revelations drop, you're just like, dude, like, she ain't worth it, right? Obviously, that chick just was not good. Like, what are you doing, man? Dude, I was down so bad. Um, I don't know, man. I don't know. You're like, what a simp. I don't know, dude. I was, uh, I was, I was, I get, like, I mean, it's all fucked up. Sorry? No, go ahead. No, 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 you go. No, 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 mine wasn't important. I was just agreeing with you. Oh, I'm sorry. I should have done this and made this weird little thing happen. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> Yeah, he does stuff like that all the time. He just makes it awkward for no reason. Anyways, let me let me take the reins from Maitland because she's fucking up the interview right now. Um, so uh, no, like I, um, what was I saying? <laughs> that you were a simp. Oh yeah, dude, I suck. Um, okay, uh, no, um, yeah, Nick, Nick, really, I don't know, man. I uh, I needed to see it. So as an actor, I needed to convince myself. Um, and that was a little bit tough because, like, I needed to go to a place where I had such a small amount of self-worth while simultaneously vacillating between having a delusional amount, like a god complex almost, a delusional amount of self-worth to treat the people who are nice to me in my life this way. Like, mm. what a, what a, what a. You know, you're, you're a basket. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man, you gotta fucking no, man. Like I, I, it was tough, and it was a really complicated character, um, which I 
had a really good time with. I mean, you know, I, maybe that's why I, I needed to learn how to nap because like he's just so high strung and he's just like creating problems for himself all the time. Um, you know, and uh, I thought I was like that in my real life. Um, but then I played the guy and I was like, yo, this is tiring. I don't know if I'm as much like this as I thought I was. Uh, so yeah. Um, I don't know the question was anymore. <laughs> well, I uh, think for Rianne, I think the big thing with any character is that you should never judge them because I feel like if the if the bad guy in a movie judged the character, then he wouldn't be a very believable bad guy because no bad guy thinks that they're the villain. Mm. Like I, I've just been watching a lot of Marvel movies, so I'm gonna make a Marvel reference right now. But I'm Thanos sorry. like really believes that what he's doing is right. And he's mm. willing to go to any extent and do anything he wants or like any, you know, um, sacrifices he has to make, he's gonna make them because he really truly believes his point of view is the correct one. And oh, so I and think that's what made Thanos so great. Exactly. Because he but yeah, he, he believed in it. And he made points where you're like, he ain't wrong. I agree with Thanos. I agree with him. I like him on Thanos' side. I was rooting for Thanos the whole time. And you see him, he has to like kill the daughter that he loves. And he did feel do... bad about that. And yeah, he hate like he you can tell it really bothers him, but he believes so heavily that this is the right thing to do, that he's gonna do it. And mm. and so again, that's what I think it is with every actor. Like if I went into it and was like, yeah, Rand's kind of twisted and messed up, then I don't think I could ever believably play Rianne in a way that she would do those things. I have to go and seeing Rianne's side. Cause I have to be like, no, I get it. Like if I was in her situation, I can see why she would do this because of X, Y, and Z. Even if it's more exaggerated from me, I have to, I have to understand where she's coming from or else I, you'll see that I'm judging her in the character mm. or like in the performance. Yeah. And you did, you, you taught me that actually on during rehearsals and on set, you, I think you said something similar to this to me because I was having some trouble there and jokes aside, you know, I think the thing, the reason that I make so many jokes about Nick is just because the guy has so many realistic things that I tried to leave behind in my past. Like so many, um, bad habits mentally so many you know that everybody just easily falls into it all that happened was that his just got, got a little bit his his problem his mental problems didn't get out of control but the situation kind of got out of control mm. a little bit you know he does a lot of things that i know a lot of people in my life who i love hanging out with are doing right now you know um like you know with the girl thing it's so easy uh the pro probably the reason why i like to make jokes about the guys because i try to not believe that someone is the fantasy uh, that you have of them in your mind versus like who they really are, you know, and, you know, ignoring red flags constantly and lashing out at the people who are trying to help you and trying to get you away from that fantasy. I mean, I guess that's, you know, I probably see too much of uh, myself in Nick, which is why I make fun of the guy, you know, but really that's an effective character. <laughs> he gets under my skin, you know? Um, and yeah, and Malin taught me to not judge him as much and to try to find, try to, try to, I guess, revert back to a lot of those things that aren't wrong. They're just things that might not be, you know, might not have served me. They were serving him. Okay. You know, yeah, I mean, you know, I remember the first time I learned that I was on a Nickelodeon show 
and I was playing a character that was not the brightest character in the world. And I had said to one of my co-stars and I was like, oh, my character is kind of stupid. And he was like, don't say that. Your character does not think they're stupid. Your character just is. And I was like, oh yeah, huh? Like there's nothing about my character in their brain that's like, oh, what I'm saying is unintelligent. Mm. What they're saying makes perfect sense to them. And I was like, oh yeah. And that like totally changed my perspective on every character I had went into from there on. So whenever I hear people talk like how I did, I'm like, but no, it's just how they think. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that's that's a good point, right? I, I think, you know, if, if we look at ourselves, there's always elements of like these people, right? We're, we're made up of all these different things and it's just, we've learned to overcome that aspect of ourselves or, you know, we, we just found those get out of jail cards, you know what I mean? So it, it, it's just like, you know what I mean? You, you, especially when you're younger, you make excuses for people and you be like, ah, you know, they didn't mean to do that and blah, 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 you know, or, there's that little, why is that person with that person? They should be with me. This is some bullshit. I, I'm going to try and get them with me. Like, so we've all had those thoughts and done those things at some point. It, it's just, you know, you learn to evolve and move, which is, um, it must be weird, though, sometimes to try and pull yourself back to a past you so you can inhabit a character. Like, how do you find yourself getting back to you? You know what I mean? So you don't go too deep in these things. I think the, the first thing I want to say is that the, you know, Maitland brought such an openness. You know, Rianne's, I don't know if you can get this off of Rianne, but, you know, Maitland herself brought such a, such a comfort and such a sort of, not, again, the non-judgment to set where I could go into that more, you know, man, that like underbelly, that like soft underbelly that not everybody wants to go to, you know, um, and, and not feel silly about it, you know, doing it in front of uh, other people. Even if we had new actors on set who like might have judged, I don't know. I was like, no, that Maitland's got my back, though. It's cool. And then, you know, so going back, reverting, regressing, one could say, into a different person. I mean, that's probably I'm also kind of showing off that I use some shortcuts to get to a place. Nick's not me. I'm not Nick. So really it's a completely different person. It's a completely different character. And there's kind of this weird interaction between sort of the character who exists um, up here somewhere, like not really within ourselves. Like they're hmm. a completely different person and you can kind of key in or out, you know, like they don't possess you, but you know, you connect to sort of some kind of, ethereal unconscious thing um and there's a percentage of it is that thing that christian kind of created that lives on outside of him you know this character who's not me not him but who's its own thing and then you know i try to grab on to that with whatever um interfacing sort of similarities or whatever part of myself i can inject in there but you know at the end of the day um nick's his own guy and I was probably just using all that stuff to get there. But Nick's his own thing. And there were times when just, you know, I mean, I mean, this happens, you know. I know that actors, it sounds really cliche to say this, but you, know, you do lose yourself. 
Like you do kind of not black out, but almost black out. Like it's kind of like, I don't know, you know, when you're doing a sport and you don't, you're not really thinking about yourself. The only thing that matters is like you're in the zone, like in the zone, you know, just get in the zone. I guess that's the, the shorthand for it, you know? Mm. That's my answer. Um, mine's much quicker. I just go eat a snack <laughs> and that helps me. What are you gonna do me like that, bro? What are you gonna do me like that? I'm like trying to be set up, punchline. <laughs> oh man, Rhea had like boom in, in, in character and person, she's crushing you all the time. <laughs> I know, man. I know it was terrible on set. Like, just for this one time, she complimented me, and I just started crying. <laughs> because, like, just, oh, it would freak him out. Like, I would, I would start complimenting him on purpose because it freaked him out. Yeah, I was like, I was like, you look really nice today, and he was like, stop it. I know like because it. what do you, what kind of trauma are you setting me up for? Like, I <laughs> every it. fucking day on set was like, I was like Carrie walking into that prom. Waiting for the pig sled. Yeah. It's funny because he simultaneously said, I brought so much comfort, and now he's like, I was walking on eggshells. <laughs> Make up your mind, bro. My favorite thing to do, there was this filter on Instagram where if you put it, like you videoed somebody, a big red X would like zoom in on their face and just X them out. And so I did <laughs> all the C notes, and I would do that every day, and I would just X out his face. And it was like this big like beat drop, it would be like, and it would just have an X over his face. Every time, uh, and I would show it to him and be like, "This is for you, dude." That 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 filter is so <laughs> Im immediately funny still to me. <laughs> yeah, like there was just something. It was like that was a Trump part. Like, what can I say to that? <laughs> yeah, he would just be talking, and I would video him and show that, and I'd be like, "You're done." <laughs> immediately, no. Immediately done. The efficacy with which this, this girl is going around like destroying me is like too much. Like it's surgical. It's not good for me in, in the long term. We had, we had fun. Oh I my had fun. gosh. We had fun. <laughs> hey, that, that's always a good thing. Right, there's, you you sometimes hear about these sets and people didn't get on and it was just crazy. So it's nice to see that you know things were good and everyone worked together. And I'll tell you what, like everybody on that set was really nice. Like the girl who played my girlfriend, so sweet. Like we hung out obviously all the time. We were dating. Um, like there was this one point where her and I had to hike up this mountain to go film, and so like we're like really hot, sweating, and we're like good. good. Nobody prepared makeup wise for this. Like we're like trying to fan each other off, and um, like our mom is super sweet. Like I think she really saw us like as her kids. So she was like trying to protect us and like make sure everything was okay all the time, and um, and then like my professor. Obviously, like we we spend a lot of time with him. He was really <laughs> funny. Um, we also like really jived off of each other because again, I was just kind of messing with him like I mess with everybody. So I think that made their dynamic good too. No, and, and it was we were really lucky to have so many people on set that were awesome because since then, and I won't name any names, of course, but you know, I felt the other side of it of being with somebody. And it's like when you have to act and go that deep, man, I was like a dog barking. Like, I just, like, couldn't go there with somebody. And, like, they would, like, 
do any little thing. And it was just like, set me the fuck off, bro. Like, I would, dude, like, so, you know, we were so lucky that we didn't have anybody like that on set, you know? It was just, Christian really outdid himself. That's it. Yeah, with the casting. Yeah. Really good job. Nice. Nice. No, nice. but really, like, yeah, the crew, the the cast, everybody was just awesome. Like everyone was so nice. Mm. And like how long were your days like doing this? I think it depends. It, it, yeah, it would depend. But they weren't that long, were they? No, they they weren't too bad. Yeah, no. You know what really held us back though? Every time I forgot to put in my freaking nose ring and then we had to do the scene all over again. Because I did that all the time. Because I had a fake nose ring and I would forget to put it in. We'd do like four scenes and I'd be like, oh, guys, I forgot. And so we had to redo all of them. And the other thing that we're not really mentioning, because you had to hike up there and you just reminded me, weren't we doing this at like end of July, beginning of August? So hot. So hot. All in an apartment. I don't even know if Mm -hmm. it had AC. With no AC. Nope. And also, (sighs) even if it did, we couldn't have had it on for sound. Yeah. So we were like, no, like that's why that's why I just look just so sweaty. Yeah, I do too. And I'm like in these hoodies and I'm like yeah. black. Just like no, pants, no, hoodies, like, like oh and I have like I'm a like, head of hair. Dude, I don't know. I always had long sleeves on everywhere I was going. It was it was Which it was, again, another way the cast or the crew was so nice. They were constantly giving us like frozen water bottles they were like fanning us with props and things to like try and keep us like they would give us their last water and i was like please don't do that please drink some for yourself and they were like no it's okay so i mean they were just so trying to accommodate us actors are treated like royalty like genuinely like if you want to know what it's like to be a king act a hundred percent i mean i've just recently been on the other side and like you know i've just since acting in this movie, I've just found myself like on the dirt with bugs on me, and no one act- asked me how I was doing. And I was just doing my. F- no one was even looking at me. I was holding the camera, doing my job, and I just covered it like it had a centipede on me. I was like, nobody cares. But like, yeah, no, like you see a bead of sweat on an actor, and you're like, do you need to take a break? Do you need to go in the shade? Do you want some water? Take a seat. Like, can I get you anything? Here's some food, and you're like, I'm okay, thank you. No, dude, it's awesome being an actor. Yeah. And all you gotta do is know words that other people wrote for you, dude. I mean, it sounds good. Figure it out. Like, yeah, they, they, that that shit sounds good. I, I feel like I'm in the room for Yeah, you should try it for real. Absolutely. You know, there's like there's a law in the SAG contract that they have to have a chair for you. They have to, like the the whole really? set, the whole set can get shut down if they don't have a chair. If it's a SAG production, if it's a SAG production. Dad. Yeah, royalty. I'm telling you, like you could be in the middle of the Sahara Desert and they don't have a seat for you, then no go. Yeah, you can go just home and still get paid your entire wage. Yep. Yeah, I, I, we could technically walk off. Yeah. And she still gets all the back pay that she would have gotten. Everything. everything. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Damn. And you also all can't right. get mad at an actor because you know, actors' emotions are precious. And so if you mess up their emotions, like you can't, like if somebody were to yell at an actor and you like make them upset, they're not going to act well because they're upset. True, true. Well, actually there was one take where, you know, because I'm playing a really neurotic guy. And so I was just like, there's something about Nick where like, I don't bite my nails or anything. There's something about him where like he bites his nails 
and, he, and I just started going to town on them. And so in the scene while I was thinking, I had a lot of thinking scenes. So <laughs> I, in the scene while I was thinking, I just like ripped a chunk of my nail off. And behind the camera, Christian just goes, oh, that's fucking disgusting, dude. <laughs> it's like, And like he's within his right, like he's zoomed up on me. Like I wasn't thinking, you know? It's within his right to say that. He had to see the skin detach. Like, I'm sorry, Christian. When you're watching this, I apologize for that. You know, you, you were right. But you know, like, it's the audience, I don't think they wanted to see that either. But like that was the one time. That was the one time where yeah, I got but see, it. I'm telling you, it's like it's like you make an actor upset, then they're like You make an actor act upset and then in an interview a year and a half later. <laughs> They tell you about town. it. <laughs> and you look like the bad guy. Sorry, Christian. You're not the bad guy. I'm the bad guy. Yeah, we love you, Christian. <laughs> oh, shit. I, yo, I'm going to have to audition for um, one of your next films, Arthur. You know what I mean, I, I need to get in on this acting lot because it sounds pretty great. It is. You do, man. It's fantastic. <laughs> And not and not just because of the you know perks. Acting is also just so fun. Like it's so fun. You just you get to be anybody you want, and that's great. Like you can you get to change who you are for a little bit of time, which is fun. It's mm. amazing, but that's a real job that you get paid for. Like I don't know. Man. Yeah, you're playing pretend. You really are playing pretend as a profession. It's crazy. No, like really. Sometimes I'll be behind camera. I'll just be like. Just doesn't. Let's think. Why the fuck am I on this side of it right now? Like, so yeah. like, here's the thing then. When you decided, you know, for hey, I'd like to get into acting. This is something I'd like to do. Was your perception of it, like, how has that changed? You know I mean, coming into it and doing it now for all these years, is it? a lot different were there things that you were i didn't even realize it would be like that it's hard it's really hard to get a job yeah it's acting is super duper fun the process to be an actor like you act for maybe three percent of your career and then the rest of 97 percent is auditioning oh, getting rejected and you know preparing and acting classes and headshots and like all this other stuff so it's and there's so much competition like you could be the best actor in the entire world and never see the light of day just because you didn't get lucky yeah no it's it's uh acting itself is exactly how i expect you you also imagined it you know when you actually do it getting the job dude it's uh, you, it's so hard that by the time you actually get the job, you might have lost your enthusiasm, you know, and then you have to dig it out. You have to like convince yourself. You have to like remember a memory from when you were five. You had an imaginary idea about acting. You have to graft that onto your like your perception of fun, dude. It's I think in the, in in the UK it might be a little bit not easier. It's probably not easier. I'm not actually gonna talk shit. I don't know. <laughs> LA is hard. UK is probably hard. Everywhere is probably hard. I mean, I don't know because when I thought about it, I was told, eh, I mean, you don't really fit many roles. I mean, like, 
a, a director was just like, I can't really use you in my video because, yeah, you look too weird. And I was like, yeah, but oh, don't okay. let my very first audition was, You're not very good, go home. I was oh, 10. Shit. And they straight up were like, Yeah, no, you're not good. Thanks for coming. And I was like, Cool, thank you. But that's the thing. There are just some people that, and sure, there are roles that you won't be able to fit. Like, you're not going to play a 12 year old ballet girl. But, like, there are plenty I of could, roles. I, I feel I could pull that off. Yeah, you know what? Don't, you're probably don't right. judge me. Yeah, all right. You're, you're right. I'm sorry. Yeah, Go ahead. It's called acting for a reason. Okay? Yeah. Why don't you audition right yeah. now, then, Kevin? Let's hear it. 12 year old ballet girl. I'm, I'm ready. Hello. I'm here to do my sonata. Shall I give it for you? You're right. No, no, Dean. Ali, she was talking about Ali. Okay, okay. That was perfect. You're hired. <laughs> no, I mean Kevin. That was then. This is now. Like I'm sure that there's a like a huge amount. I was yeah. actually thinking the same thing as Maitland. Probably was like Kevin. If you yeah, no, you're like it's gonna you're work. funny, you're British, you got a unique look. And like there's plenty of Oh no, wait, hold on. I've signed up for the for the English because I, I, I you know was thinking about moving to the UK for a little while. So I signed up for the equivalent to our casting website over there. You guys are babied over there. You guys are so well taken care of. You're telling me that the government is paying for this website, making it essentially free, and then giving you guys the best advice I've ever received about breaking the industry in my freaking life on a website. Like, oh, really? The British casting website is an, is one of the most useful things I've ever encountered. Like, because over here, we have to pay. Like, this is America, baby. So we're paying. We're paying monthly for the right to get fucking no's constantly. And then on top of it, you know, we get like advice from these weird cult leader sort of figures who are not actually professional. They don't really help actors at all. They just like tell them whatever the hell course they're gonna sell them this time. But the, but the, the one that you have over there, I mean, really, they, they, they give you all the resources and all the advice that you need just on that website for free. I need to find the name of it for you. I think it's called Spotlight. I think it's called Spotlight UK. Ah. Spotlight is amazing. Boom. All right, I'm gonna have to do some research after this. <laughs> so yeah, I'm- You call us in your next, um, on your next uh, big movie. <laughs> we'll interview you next time. Arthur, you're frozen. Oh, yeah, he is, isn't it? Huh. It did sound like his in internet was going a little bit. Yeah, it's like really crackly. Crazy. Ah, yeah. Way to back? fuck it up, Arthur. Yep, see you. Oh. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, good. We didn't want him anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Nick is a bit wet, so it's not surprising he's, he's gone off to salt. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, so... As it's so hard getting roles, right? When do you, like, once you've landed something, when does the process start to, um, you know, look for that next one? Like, like are you looking for the next role while doing the current one, or do you literally have to wait until that's done and then start? Well, it depends on the project. So a lot of the time you can, 
be filming something and then auditioning for a bunch of other things. But if, like, say you're locked into a movie or you're locked into a series for a certain amount of time, you either, A, really just can't do anything else, or B, it's your first priority. So it's like, yeah, you can go audition for other things, but if you were to get something else and it were to interfere with our show, you, mm. have, to, you have to stay committed to our show because that's in your contract. Uh, I just want to ask if everybody heard my spotlight to you, Kay, pitch real quick. Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, yeah. that came. Because that's useful for people. If you're listening, guys, even if you're American, go to spotlight. It's really good. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, no. I, I think also, aren't there clauses for, uh, like, non-compete agreements where if the show is too similar, or if you're going to the, yeah. the same genre or something, then some contracts, some networks will actually tell you no, even for that. Oh. Or even, like, sometimes you can't, like, say you're on a, um ABC show. Like, I don't think you can go on to another ABC right. show. Because, oh. like, sometimes things like that will cross over, and then you can't be one person in one world and another in another, and then you're like, uh, mm. That yeah, I, I get because it, it it was kind of weird at first seeing Chris Evans as Captain America when he'd already played Johnny Storm a few years back. Yeah, and it's just lucky that the Fantastic Four film sucked that you you could be like, oh, fine, he's in a good role. Okay, yeah, he's Captain America. Let's go with that. <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely it, it gives the audience a bit of whiplash when you put them in too many and then you know and then it's also hard because it's like if you get cast in a role like captain america or harry potter or dexter like it's really hard to then be somebody else because they're like all oh, right that's captain america mm. or that's dexter I, I also really like dexter it just came out again oh it's the new season out yeah, it's new season out Ah, because I'm, I think I'm on the fourth season at the moment. Because yes, I, 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 I didn't finish it because it was so, I like Dexter, but it was so dark. I'd watch an episode and be like, whew, right, I'm, I'm going to have to watch season one of the Care Bears to try and, you know, lighten my shit up right now. <laughs> I just want to know how. All of the like precinct people didn't realize that every bad guy that they were hunting wound up dead. Like yeah. you don't think they'd make the connection eventually that every case that Dexter was on, the bad dude was dead. There is like, that every single time. Yeah. <laughs> I've never this is kind of one of the reasons why I never went into Dexter, but I, I also was spoiled at the time. Like I think I was watching Breaking Bad at the time, so I was trying to be an elitist about it. You know, but in a post did that just crack? Yeah, that was my neck. Nice. <laughs> nice, dude. Um, <laughs> but no, in, in like a post Game of Thrones world, if a TV show is consistently good and fun, like I am open to it now. Mm. Like I thought I was better than Dexter. Nah, dude, Dexter's better than me. <laughs> Do you like Game of Thrones? You said Game of Thrones, and that's all I can think about right now. Do you like it? I mean, I loved Game of Thrones. You know, you don't like the eighth season. I was you when I dropped off was actually the fifth season. I can actually defend my point. Great, yeah. I don't know. 
Do you, you like Game of Thrones, Kevin? Man, I love Game of Thrones. Like oh, the, the so thing good. with Game of Thrones was it upped that production level. Like you kind of looked at T and you know, it, it's one of those things where a lot of actors, yeah, they looked at TV as like, ugh, I mean, I'm taking a step down to do this shit. But then you had shows like Game of Thrones that just made it so cinematic. And, and the scope was so crazy. And every episode, you didn't know what the fuck was. I mean, it's just like, my man is climbing, you know what I mean? Parkour up the building. Hey, what do I spy? Wait, they're siblings, right? Then he gets pushed out. And we're kind of like, yeah, kind of had it coming. You know what I mean? We're like, like, you're in that world now. You're just like, yeah, I'd have stabbed them too. I see their point of view. You know what I mean? It was like crazy. That's that's what's so good about um, Game of Thrones is that they make you love the characters that you hate. So not mm. only do you love to hate them, but you also just love them. Like, yeah. Jamie near the end, like you're rooting for him, and he's a pretty crappy dude. Mm. And like even Cersei, you feel bad for her. Man, I could talk about Game of Thrones all day. I love Game of Thrones. <laughs> Next okay. time for an interview, Game of Thrones. Y'all are talking okay. about my ex right now, so of course I'll talk about Game of Thrones as much as you want. I read all the books and I read all the supplementary material, and I read the I read his sci-fi novels from before, and I think that they're connected, and that Game of Thrones is actually in the future. Like I'm in it, dude, but like the show just drops off at a certain yeah. point, and those first four no. seasons are great, and I'm not going to yeah. be a nerd You're wrong. about it. It's okay. That's you're entitled to your incorrect big. opinion. No, it's fine. <laughs> Sorry, you're allowed to be wrong. I said you're entitled to your wrong opinion. Oh. Uh, okay. Well, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. You're not going to argue because you're incorrect. I, I am. Know. You know yeah. what? I am. So listen, guys. Look. When fucking Littlefinger, okay? See, See how easy it is to get him to, like, do what you want? <laughs> don't even. I, I don't care. Okay? I have 10 minutes of this interview, and I'm going to fucking just go off. So... When Littlefinger is there, like fifth season, he just like basically, what did he do? He got rid of Lysa Aaron. He he yeah. has Sansa. He can have sex with her now. I don't know what he's trying to do with her. You know, well, he, he has love the heir to, to the veil. And then season five shows up and of course they run out of book. So then yeah. they're like, oh, you know what Littlefinger's plan? His 25 year plan is give the kids away. I'm going to give... I'm not even going to do research on this guy. No, 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 wrong. No, it's because it's because he wants more power and he feels the way to do that is by trading her off. He, he, he has everything he thought he wanted and then it's not enough and he's still power hungry. And that's and why he ends up messing it all up. We can say that he gave in to one of those mistakes, but I feel like the guy doesn't make a lot of mistakes until that point. You know? Yeah, because I mean, he's getting greedy and power hungry, and he's in love with Sansa, so his his judgment is clouded. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, so I'm, I'm right. not gonna I'm not gonna call what you're saying is Stockholm syndrome, and then want it to. Yeah, what you fine. think Littlefinger has Stockholm syndrome? Sorry. But who do you think has Stockholm syndrome, Littlefinger? No, you. Me. You. <laughs> Why? 
you love the you, you you're abused by the show and you felt trapped by the show and you're just making excuses for no, the show. No, first of all, I only watched the show. I was not a cult follower. I watched it in quarantine for the first time, just binged it. You see, I think that maybe that's a more healthy thing to do. So I that's the thing, I like, I don't have the emotional attachment that I think a lot of people do, and that's why I like it more. I that is the one right. thing I will give you. You went in um, way more level-headed and way less hyped because, you know, I mean, really, man, I think I've read, like, I'm no lie, like, 8,000 pages. Of yeah, and I haven't read any of the books either. Mm, like, I, I don't know what I, I, what, I, what did I get out of that? I don't know. Well, I definitely got the satisfaction of making you fight me. Anyway, you want to talk about um, All Who Loved Her? That's a really yeah. good movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that this is this is roundabout drumming up uh, uh, excitement for it. I'm talking about it. But yeah, let's I, I mean, I, I have people's, heard people say that the intrigue in All Who Loved Her is like very similar to Game of Thrones. So I, I can see that transition right there. You know what I mean? Oh. <laughs> All Who Loved Her, Game of Thrones, same thing. Yeah. I, when you read that script, right, and the end of the film, what did you think? Like, how did that sit with you? I loved it. I love a dark ending. So I was kind of pleased that it wasn't wrapped up in a tight little bow. I mean, I guess it kind of was, but also kind of not. Like, you're kind of without... Yeah, there's no definitive, like, did or not, like... I feel there's um, that ambiguity in it. Absolutely. I mean, y'all looking at me like, I, I mean, I, you know, I think I was so attached to my character that I was not ready for some of the ways that this script, script like some of the directions that this script went into, I was not ready for it at all. You know, and it surprised me. And I was... I was up here, I was down here, I was up here, I was down here. Like, it was so many twists and turns for me. And since I was just, like, so Nick going in, I was so excited, you know, I was, like, I was shocked. I was just shocked. That's That was my first reading. My first reading was just being shocked. And then spending the last 10, 15 pages, just with my mouth, like, a little open, just, like, rereading to see if I misread that. And, yeah, you know, that was me. Because I, I thought the interesting are you, thing. Are you, um... you... Oh, sorry. Oh, maybe. What? No. Are you sorry? What? I, I. No, I was just gonna say, are you happy with how your character's story ended? Yeah. Yeah. No, but the shock. I mean, the, the twists and turns. I wasn't. I did not see them coming at all. You know. That's good. Good on you. That is a good thing. Listening. I mean, I as Nick, you know. It's a very good thing. I didn't see. Is normally when I'm writing, when I'm reading a script, I know where this shit's gonna go from the first page, most of the time. Like it's so obvious, and this thing completely threw me for a loop. Yeah, you know? man. When I was auditioning for it, I was playing her very different because I didn't know a lot of what hand <laughs> <Leanne> is. <laughs> yeah. And then I read the script, and I was like, "Cool, good." Didn't know that. <laughs> I was actually surprised that I was even cast, given how uh, wrong I was about how things were going. Like, you know, internally with my. I bet you everybody was. So yeah. I feel like you kind of take that off the table. I don't think anybody was like, I know what will happen. True. True. No, man. I, I did not see it coming. 
like it kind of sets itself up in one way, but then goes in some real crazy directions. You, you kind of feel from the from the beginning, and especially with that open, with you know what I mean, Rian being like Professor Rossi says, if you walk into a room, you can smash his head into a table. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> like, what the fuck is this bill? What's AJ sent me? Like, this is crazy. Yeah. No, it's true. It like really kind of commands your attention right at the beginning. It's like, oh, whatever you think is going on, you're wrong. Mm. Yeah, you won't be able to guess it. Yeah. <laughs> and sure. what? How have you felt the reception to the film? Really good. Um, I've been really pleased with the reception. You know. Uh, especially, like I said, like, you know, I'm never really in front of the camera very much. So to receive messages of people being like, that didn't suck. And that was actually really good that you like that. I actually did a good job. Like, I'm, I was on cloud nine, man. Yeah. My family keeps texting me. They're like, I saw it. I loved it. So good. I'm like, thanks guys. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like overall people have seemed to really like it and and honestly, what I really like is when they, like, come up to me and they're usually angry at my character. I'm like, good. Mm. Like, when, when they want to fight with me about something, then I know I've done something right. Yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that Rianne was um, the, uh, the female Ramsey Bolton, in a way. <laughs> You know what's really bad? I shouldn't. I know it's really horrible. Like it's I I should not like Ramsey. He's a horrible human being. He's done some unspeakable things, but man, I like the guy. And and, and Santa was annoying. You know what I mean? Let's let's be honest. Santa was, Santa was annoying at the beginning. I like her at the end. But at the beginning, she's just like, I want to marry Joffrey. Okay, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I love Joffrey. I'm like, girl, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh yes all right no, I so, to agree like you know ramsey i really have to respect <laughs> somebody who does what just just what they want in life you know mm. and i think that's sort of the cool thing about rianne too is uh you know you gotta watch the movie guys indeed indeed people go check it out it is definitely a nail biter. You you won't expect what the fuck happens. And more, you I'm won't triggered be filmed by you calling if, it a nail yeah. biter. <laughs> <laughs> I remember flashbacks, bro. Boom. <laughs> and and you will like both characters. Uh, throughout the film, there's points where you will definitely like the characters. You'll definitely be frustrated with the characters. Sometimes you'll be like, mm, maybe that's a little bit too far. But you know what I mean? You, you'll be in it all the way through. But um, before we bust, do you guys, have you got anything on the bubble next? Uh, right now, biology. Um, I'm just really focusing on uh, <laughs> DNA sequences. But you know, you never know that the acting industry is crazy. There's a lot of ups and downs. You can hear nothing and know nothing. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're a star in 40 movies. So 
you just, just got to keep waiting. It's a, it's the ultimate waiting game. Mm-hmm. I got tired of waiting. Made another movie. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. It's too much. You know. Uh, Remy Arletta, you know about it. And, um, you know, uh, I'm in it for a second, but I mostly just directed this one. Um, and I'm excited about it. I mean, everybody will know about it, like, next year, you know. Uh, okay. So that's when it's going to drop. Yeah, you know, going through the festivals and we'll see what comes of it, you know. Yeah. I think this one's a lot more palatable to festivals than Clairvoyant. Clairvoyant was made to look like a bad movie in the first five minutes, and a lot of people turned it off in the first five minutes. Uh, but that's so that intentional, cool. guys. We knew what we were doing. Damn it. <laughs> I, I wish I just put, this is a parody at the beginning. <laughs> that would have, like, ruined the movie. Um you know, but uh, but yeah, so another movie coming out, and uh, maybe a couple more things. We'll see. You know, not sure yet. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe. Mm-hmm. All right, that sounds all great. And how can people keep track of, you know, what you guys are doing? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram. It's just my name, which is Maitland Pezzo, which is hard. M a i t l y n p e z z o. It's like Caitlin with an M. That's what I tell people. <laughs> Same, but not Maitland yep. Pezzo. Yeah, follow yeah. him on at Maitland Pezzo. Um, <laughs> follow me twice. Thank you very much. Arthur De La Roche, A R T H U R D E L. Come on, guys. Just look at the links. In the he doesn't video. even know how to spell it. <laughs> I know how to. I know. He was so smooth. He was so smooth. He got out to spell his name, and then he just like passed it off. Yeah, nice he, he doesn't know how to spell his name, everybody. That's what we've learned from that. <laughs> it's my name, Arthur De La Roche. It's my name. I'm sure if you misspell it, it'll come Which up. Which is spelled no what? How is it spelled, Arthur? A-R-T-H-U-R-D-E-L-A-R-R-O-C-H-E. He did it, everybody. Woohoo! Maitland, you always push me to be better than I am. So I feel that's it for this episode of Sesame Street. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, I really appreciate you both stopping by. And um, I hope when new projects are popping, you you, know what I mean? you come back and we can, uh, you know, talk about those. Maybe when House of Dragon drops, we'll, we'll, we'll have to do another little sign sign. You know what I mean? We can go I'm into ready. that. So ready. Bro, I feel like I'm just an abused housewife going back, but I'll do it for y'all. I'll do it. I'll go back. I'll bring just popcorn. to justify all those years. I'll do it. Hey, and who knows? Maybe the next books will be out <laughs> somewhere next year. Maybe. You know, anything can happen. In, indeed. Indeed. Oh man, it's been a joy. Thank you very much. People coming on your video. Yeah, Kevin, you're great. So funny. Thank you. Thank you. But yeah, people, follow Maitland, follow Arthur. The links are going to be in the episode, as always. And go watch the goddamn film and see what happens with these friggin' siblings because they be crazy. All right? (laughs) Boom. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you, dude. Oh, you know, man, you know, man, you know, man, you know, man.
Alright, how awesome was that, people? How great was that? Christian, yo, Christian gave me his time. Homie was on holiday, right? He was on holiday and he spared his time, man. So all up to Christian. And then, you know what I mean? After Maitland, yo, there was some craziness with daylight saving. It's on me. But they were kind enough to reschedule. We got it done. And how how fun was that conversation, right? Those two, awesome. Awesome. It was a joy to speak with everyone. So, yeah, go check out the film, man. Follow them on their socials because you want to know what's happening. These motherfuckers right here, they're stars, right? They're going to blow up soon. And you can say you heard them here on Echo Chamber first. All right. Now, that's part three done. But remember, we got part one with our four reviews. Part two, we spoke to Dan Lant about Alpha Rift. So there's enough to check out, people. Go get you some greatness. Share with your peoples. And we will see you again next week. All right, people. Peace.